I won't be joking for today's intro. Today, on the day of recording, Derek Chauvin was convicted of the senseless murder of George Floyd. It is a somber day that this feels like a surprise, that a white police officer being held accountable for the death of a black man feels like such a shock. And yet, today we have seen our first step towards progress, real, genuine progress. It is a coincidence that the theme for today's episode is, in fact, progress. It is not our intention to bootstrap on such a momentous occasion. But given the circumstances, I can think of no topic more fitting. Black Lives Matter. Welcome to Music Arcade. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Music Arcade. I am Galen, the sound guy, Firestone. And I am Yes, that too. <laughs> Sorry, yes. I was trying to lead into you and you just jumped in there. Yeah, no, I tried to make it snappy, and then it got too snappy. <laughs> Apparently. Good job. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it turns out coincidences work even when you're just hearing a, a Pokemon song while on the bus back home, and then stars align. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's a coincidence or kismet or what the hell, but... Man, of all the I, days to be recording an episode about progress. I just realized it's not just a song from any Pokemon game. It's from Pokemon Black and White. Oh, for heaven's sake. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I feel like there's a little bit of the hand of God in that. I, I have to be honest there. Yeah, yeah, no, I... Can't it's just deny. one of those little, like, pokes in the right direction when it comes to that. We take those. We do. We take those. We do. We do. Uh, we're going to try not to ruminate too much on current events. This isn't exactly a politics talk show. This is a music talk show. Um, and Ranikel, since you're the one who brought it up, let's go ahead and start talking about it. Pokemon. All right. Pokemon Black and White Victory Road. So, Pokemon Black and White Victory Road. Uh, yeah, it. We were pretty much searching for a theme, and this is what inspired today's theme of progress and progression. Uh, because it does something that really effective, really well. Yeah, uh, I listened to the song and really, with the exception of the tuba, really appreciated uh, what the song does. <laughs> It's yeah, not no, so much uh, the notes of the tuba, that's fine, it was just, like, the panning. When it debuts, it's only coming out of the right, and that just feels, like, unbalanced. Which yes. was kind of the point, because they're just doing a final mix, and I don't see why they're going to pan it to the center when, in the final mix, it's to the right, but it just felt like, this is only coming out of one ear, and this feels weird. Anyway, by all means, keep, it does. keep going, and we'll get to what that means when we talk about it. So, yeah, uh, the goal of a Pokemon game, uh, on all but I believe uh, what were the ones on the uh, island Sun and Moon, I think. Aside from this one, pretty much all Pokemon games follow the same structure of collecting the eight badges, going for the victory road, and then fighting the Elite Four. There are twists and turns, but that is ultimately the main goal of the mainline games anyway. Yeah. And for this one, they really made you feel like this thing was 
important by this entry into the victory world because it feels a bit more than just the last stretch before the final set of fights. Uh, the way it works is that you start entering the victory world and you just have the wind blowing and that's it. But then you go through each successive uh, gate, each gate unlocked by one of your badges and that takes you into a very short area corresponding to that badge, like for instance after the entering the back badge you get through a screen where you're climbing on some sort of giant rock beetle, etc. Uh, and uh, for every new area you cross, essentially there's one instrument that's added to the song, and then another one, and then another one, until after all of the badges are in and you have access to the victory world proper, which is of course much longer than the individual gates, you get the full song. And seeing well, hearing the instruments added one by one uh, really emphasizes the progress you've gone through from lowly trainer with your level 5 starter Pokemon to this whole team you're taking to the end. Right. Uh, you're, you've, basically, it's both a look back at where you've started from and a look forward to what you the level at which you are now. It emphasizes progression and it makes the final music hit that much harder now that you essentially were shown here is where this instrument slots in, here is where that instrument slots in. Yeah, it's the um, same mechanic of... Uh, it's the same mechanic that was used in Link's Awakening for the Ballad of the Windfish. It's every dungeon you complete gives you an instrument and every instrument gets added to the ballad as you go up and play it. Um, You're right! I didn't make the parallel for some reason, probably because I only played uh, Link's Awakening super long ago. Yeah, I played the Switch version a little more recently, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. Yeah. I also spent yeah. a lot of money tracking down that soundtrack. Yeah, and that's an excellent comparison, actually. Yeah, because it's um, pretty much the same thing. You've yeah. progressed through, you've gathered instrumental badges, and that adds up to something that's more than the sum of its parts in the end. Yes, absolutely. Um, and much like that same thing, uh, apparently sections get added after you get all eight instruments, because there was a bridge section that's in the final version of the Pokemon song that wasn't in the prior seven versions. Yeah, absolutely. And they basically they cheat a little instead of just plainly adding its instrument because at the end of the day you still want a song. Yeah, no, that's fine. I I Yeah. Cheating in this instance is just, you know, now you're here, you have something to listen to. I, I'm not exactly. going to sit here and complain about that. That's it was a pretty nice song. Yeah. Um one comment I did make, and I'm not sure entirely how relevant it is, but when the eighth the eighth badge when you get the eighth badge and the full yes. song plays the main melody kicks in the main melody prior to the bridge if you actually strip away the other seven badges kind of sounds like something that wouldn't be out of place in a metroid game yeah and um, i could certainly see that yeah like that was that was the first thought that popped into my mind was samus and now i'm just imagining samus 
running through a Pokemon world, blasting everything inside to be hilarious. <laughs> That's got potential. I, I mean, I, 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 considering some of the monsters she's been up against, I don't think even a Gyarados could really stand her arm cannon and her plasma beam too well. Yeah, but sometimes you just want to go around and shoot things. Besides, I feel like there's some parallels that could be drawn between a Morph Ball and a Pokeball. Oh yeah, huh? But enough fanfiction from 12 <laughs> years ago, us. Fair uh, enough. I'm going to jump off on another game because... Uh, the next, the rest of this podcast is essentially going to be um, a closer look at some specific tracks. But for the start, I wanted to focus a bit more on some ways the tracks are implemented as part of the game systems, in a way. So we had this progression through the gates that added the instruments. Right. And another way uh, tracks can reflect progression even beyond what individual tracks they are, is in Civilization VI. Okay, uh, now this is, the, this is the only soundtrack of the list you gave me that I'm not familiar with, so I'm not re- likely to have much to add here, unfortunately. Well, I'm sure you're familiar with some of the tracks, since they take a lot of old classics. Uh, but the way it works is twofold, at least for the themes uh, that interest us of progression. One is a way to uh, accompany your progression. So each civilization has its own theme. And uh, the theme evolves as you progress through the eras. So, uh, like for instance, you have, uh, I think for the Great Britain, it's Scarborough Fair, uh, that's orchestrated with very uh, old tiny instruments in the classical era, and then it gets uh, through several different uh, additions for more time appropriate uh, instruments as you go through the uh, the medieval era, and then the uh, industrial era, and then the atomic era. Each time adding more and more, but ultimately it is the same track, just orchestrated differently. Yeah, sort of a variable mix thing going on. Exactly. Which uh, is a nice way to uh, reflect how you're progressing. They play a lot with subtle notes like that. Uh, There's also the fact that uh, uh, if you're in a golden age, uh, that's purely visual. That's a bit of a sidetrack, but uh, if you're in a golden age, for instance, the grass looks greener and the interface starts glowing golden. Uh, Well, if you're in a dark age, everything looks duller and more subdued, and there's subtle notes like the music changes and like this one that perhaps convey information without paying attention to it, which is good since you already have a lot to pay attention to managing your entire civilization. Right. And the other way the music implemented is uh, interesting is that you don't hear during your entire multiple tens of hours of games uh, the same song over and over again. Because 
Sometimes you hear another civilization's theme, generally when they are winning. Oh. So that shows the cultural dominance uh, in this way, and it acts as a bit of a warning. It's a weird variation of something I'm sure you've seen happen in a lot of open world games where you're just minding your own business, paying no heed to your surrounding when suddenly the battle music starts. And you're like, wait, who aggroed me? <laughs> and yeah, that's a solar version of it. And I think that's really neat the way they've integrated the music to reflect your progression and have you track the enemy's progression in some pretty elegant way. I like that. Um, there's one thing the Civilization series has always been pretty impressive with. It's the way its music works. Uh, I've only ever played Civ 4, I think it was. It's a very good one. Uh, so I've been told. I'm, af I'm afraid it wasn't for me. I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I had no idea what I was doing. Oh, yeah. Um, but I do remember that the way the music worked in that game was actually very intriguing, and I don't have anything quite so detailed as I have not played this in years. Or even really thought about any song that wasn't Baba Yeti, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I am still very... Uh, I'm still very impressed with the sound design as a whole of that series. Um, yeah. It's just... Like I said, they have to do a lot of work and use every tool at their disposal to limit how overwhelming the game can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, those games can be extremely overwhelming. Yeah. Um... Especially since in Civ 6, for the longest of time, the kind of playstyle where you just have a few big cities instead of a ton of smaller cities wasn't very well supported. Yeah. And that's the one that demands the most micromanagement. Yeah, I gotta be honest. Unfortunately for me, the more micromanagement I have to do, the more I'm likely to check out. Yeah. I get it. But, uh... No, all told, it was, uh... No, all told, I, I love it when soundtracks do stuff like that. Uh, we're going to be talking more about some of that later. One of your other choices leans in that direction, even if it's a lot less um, intense of a game. Uh, man, now I kind of regret not putting Nier Automata on the list, because this would have been a great... Uh, that, this would have been a great lead-in to like, City Ruins or something, but we didn't even start talking about that. Oh, yeah. It uh, shows that this fame has a lot to offer. Yeah. Um, even with the latest in FF14 news and everything, New Automata wasn't one of our first picks. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was a, a little peek behind the curtain. That was intentional on my part. I wanted to go for maybe not off-the-wall ideas, but I lean way too heavily into Final Fantasy, and for good reason. Final Fantasy music is as far as I'm concerned, the gold standard <laughs> yeah, of game I mean, music. Who would add a Final Fantasy track to the playlist? Am I right? <laughs> uh, who would do that? Who would, Rana? Who would? 
Me, that's me. I yeah. do that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you you really did. <laughs> What's worse is I think I I don't think I was thinking of that specific song. I think I was thinking of specific versions of the main battle theme and remake. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. We're yeah. not doing this. I'm doing something different. And then you went and did FF7 anyway. I'm like, thanks. Good job. Yeah. Anyway, that was a little look behind the curtain. We'll be hearing about that later. Um. Fana, how about progression of a character throughout multiple games? Sure, and let's start with yet another super popular series, though that hasn't been heard from in a while, Ninja Gaiden. Yeah. So once upon a time, one of the things that inspired this podcast was this challenge going around on Twitter, 30 Days of Game Music, and right out of the gate, I knew that one of the things I wanted to do was the various versions of Ninja Gaiden 1, level 4-3, a.k.a. Reused Determination. Uh, entirely because, not even because of the Ninja Gaiden, uh, NES version, but because it shows up in a Dynasty Warriors game. Yes, yes, Dynasty Warriors nutball, I, I know. And it just sounds so good. But. It does. To start, we've got to go back to the NES, the original, the original bleeps and bloops, the wonderful four whole oscillators, four whole channels of audio that you got back in those days, where they had to All duck right. out some of the percussion to get your sound effects in there. But you can make some miracles in those. You really could. And, and honestly, some, a recurring theme in audio in general is the less tools you have, the more you're forced to do miracles. Um, exactly. It is way too easy when you have essentially infinite options to just turn in a really mediocre soundtrack. But if you want to make good music with very limited resources, you've got to try super hard, and I, I Boy, would make a serious that. argument that 4-3 is actually one of the most iconic themes of the NES, right up there with Zelda, right up there with Mario. And Castlevania. And Castlevania, yes. And, 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 and It says a lot that my association with Castlevania is largely the 32-bit era, so all of these songs I'm used to them being way more orchestrated, but you're right, they did start then too. Yeah. Um, in the case of this one, you can really see those, just the power of a strong melody line, a strong harmony, um, and just making those few instruments that the NES had available to it on a technical level really just shine and work for it, creating something really memorable. Skip ahead 20 years. Warriors Orochi 3. The oh, first yeah. of the Warriors Energy games to feature weirdo crossovers, and one of them was, uh, of course, Ninja Gaiden, which had a resurgence of popularity thanks to Ryu Hayabusa's including, uh, inclusion in the Dead or Alive series, thanks to um, the Ninja Gaiden remake uh, and its two sequels. I believe we're getting remasters of that pretty soon, is what I've heard. I'm looking forward to playing those. I think I heard that too, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, Dynasty Warriors loves its music, and it loves its character themes, so when it wanted to do a really good character theme for Ryu Hayabusa, they went straight to 4-3, and they orchestrated the crud out of it. Now, the first time this appeared was in Warriors of 3, and it was a pretty straight remake. Not that yeah. there's anything wrong with that, because this song is a banger. Yeah, this song really feels like uh, here is the theme of Ryu Hayabusa as it existed a long time ago, 
Now let's make it with what we have today, keeping the melody as strong as it was. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the synths became like actual electric guitars and an actual flute. Um, and just comes together in this really just comfortable, awesome sort of way. Uh, skip ahead to Warriors Order 2-4. There were no crossover characters in Warriors Order 2-4. It was still a pretty good game. I It wasn't going to live up to 3. That's kind of an impossible task. But it was pretty good for what it was. 3 was so good. 3 was three was impossibly good. Like I To this day, I am surprised that the Dynasty Warriors game could be that good. Yeah. Um, but then Warriors Order 4 Ultimate happened. And here come the crossovers again in front and center. Ryu Hayabusa. And this time they even gave him yet another remix of his theme, but this time they actually Warriors Orochi'd it. So now they started because mixing it between... in with some of the um, instrumentation and pads and themes used in the Warriors Orochi series. My yeah, it really uh, takes a strong twist and essentially becomes not just instrument uh okay to use a real world orchestrated in a more modern way but also uh, now integrated into the world's Ochi more cohesive identity yeah as it really grows into its own thing it really does and it really works and they added a little segment they added a solo in there that's really cool um this is probably my favorite version of the song, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, I love the NES yeah. version, I love the Warriors of the T3 version, but this Warriors of the T4 version just really kind of, really kind of comes together in a really sort of perfect way. I, I'm not even sure I would want to hear another remix of this at this point. Like, what, what, what could you possibly build on at this point? And it emphasizes that Warriors All-Stars was a mistake. It was a mistake. Imagine, imagine just for a second, if they actually took the budget they wasted on Warriors All-Stars and put it into Warriors RT3, uh, Warriors RT4, Warriors RT4 Ultimate instead. That How much better that so game would have ended up being. Yes. Ugh. Warriors RT4, or not, sorry, Warriors All-Stars had some cool characters, that's just about all I will say for it. Its music was blah, its gameplay was blah, its story was pathetically bad. And I'm just yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, it's only claim to fame, really, that was that it had Nobunyaga Oda. Yeah. Which was... The tiny cat version of Nobunaga Oda that brings with a lot of its move uh, field troops that shoot instead of having the unit itself attack. Pretty yeah, cool but set. I mean, that's not really different from, say, Chen Gong and Dynasty Warriors 8. Like, we've yeah, seen true. people do that before. Definitely. Which I guess is... But, but they're not tiny cat people. No, they are not tiny cat people. That is correct. <sighs> What a mistake that cape was. Yeah. Oh, and they took all of the Ninja Guide and Dead or Alive people into... I'm, I'm going to stop complaining about this or I will complain about Warriors All-Stars all day. I'm going to stop. Yes. The short version is the version of Ryu in that game is pointless. I don't even remember it. I just... I remember not remembering it, which is really sad. He was in this game, right? Yeah, he was. And his music was I also forgot. technically in the game, and it was bad. So was Ayane's. Yeah. And I'll talk about Ayane's music in Warriors of the 3 another day, because that's another incredible track. But Ayane and really, Kasumi really also got moved from Warriors of the to Warriors All Stars because of the DOA thing. And her version of that song there just didn't work. 
and the level which went from destroyed hellscape to dead or alive beach paradise smoothly over the level was so good too. That was funny. I liked that. That was yeah. That was really good in Warriors Little T three. We're gushing about Warriors Little T now. I need to stop. Uh <laughs> The uh, the short version is reuse Hayabusa's theme is great, and the version for Warriors 24 is even greater. New topic, go! EDF! EDF! Uh, so, uh, the next song is a set of sort of shorter songs you can't quite hear all in a row in-game. Uh, but again, the way they implemented was pretty interesting and pretty funny too. Uh, so, in Earth Defense 4, 4.1 Shadow of New Despair, to use its overly long title... Wait, 4.1? Uh, yeah, 4.1. Well, I think it was there in 4.2, but uh, the version we got uh, on PC is uh, called 4.1. Fair enough. Uh, so, the basic idea is... You are tiny field troops fighting giant insects like ants uh, that are the size of a building, and then things get crazy from there. Right. And you're not necessarily alone in your level. Sometimes you have reinforcements. And also, the game has a strong multiplayer co-op focus, uh, which is as chaotic as it sounds. I've actually never seen that. I've only ever seen solo runs. I was not aware there was a co-op mode. No, oh, there's a co-op mode, and that's why they have voice commands to uh, uh, quickly communicate with your allies uh, through pre-made lines. And one of the lines is a stanzas of a song. And so... But what's interesting is that not only can you use it in multiplayer and have the different players a bounce of the different stanzas. Mm -hmm. If you're inside of a group of, NP of allied NPCs and start one stanza of the song, they will answer with the other, and you can alternate like that. Oh, that's funny. I like that. Yeah. Like, if you're in against a group of Avenger and go to save um, over uh, from any alien attack, they immediately go from vicious giant insects who have once again come back. That's great. I that's it's that's amazing. actually really neat. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's pretty much one of the best reasons to actually give a damn about uh, your uh, allied troops because they don't really shoot that hard compared to you. Unsurprising. They're allies in a video game. Exactly. But at least they have better AI than FF7 Remake. <laughs> I don't know if they have any AI, but any AI is better than FF7 Remake's AI. Sorry, go You on. just had to get that jab in, didn't I you? had to. I had to. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so the way the song progresses is uh, fun enough to warrant its spot uh, in this uh, episode about progression. But then... The song isn't limited to uh, the first uh, four stanzas, which are the most known part of the game. As you go through the campaign, sometimes you uh, go by groups that sing on their own, and there are variations and progressions throughout the song that gets more and more 
depressing. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Like, it starts with, we're going to kick alien butts. And by the end, it goes, all of my family is dead, but I'm still cheering and singing as uh, joyfully as ever. And I think that's just a way to reflect on this game's brand of humor. And like, it just shows how much it doesn't take itself seriously. You just have fun slaying insects and cratering entire city blocks. Yeah. And uh, the songs uh, kinda reflect that and the progression throughout the campaign. And it's great! Moving on! Uh, let's talk... Not near Automata. Nope. Let's... Oh, oh, won't we? Okay, so yeah, we're not talking about uh, Near Automata today. We are talking about the game Tarioko did right before that, namely Guard 3. Oh, shoot, I missed uh, another transition ID, which is that both Earth Defense Force and Guard 3 are some of the best comedy games. They really are. Well, I, I don't know that much about Earth Defense Force other than watching like half-coordinated play it, but... Um... You'd love it. I feel like I would, especially if there's co-op. Like, I, we may need to talk about this, like, on the side at some point. My guys will be in contact with your guys. Sounds good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, where was I? Yeah, um, Dragon Guard 3 is, nobody played this except, like, 20 people, which is a real shame because it's actually really, really good. Yeah. Biggest complaint. The gameplay is a bit. Still rough around the edges. It's rough around the edges, but it's certainly works. a lot better than Dragon Guard One and Two and Near One World. Yes, like Dragon Guard One and Two's gameplay was thematically dull at this point. Yes, um, that's how some people justify to justify it to deal with the trauma of having played Dragon Guard One and Two. I've played both. Um, I didn't mind Two's combat so much. It was stiff, but it was it was workable. Um, Near Ones was kind of a mess, but the story and, of course, the soundtrack, and yeah, obviously, Near One's soundtrack is kind of one of the all-time masterpieces in video game music, and yes. at some point we're going to be talking about that at length, I'm sure. Like, no question. Yeah. Es uh, especially given that uh, 1.22, etc., etc., comes out in, like, two days after I'm of recording. Yes, but it's replicate, not gestalt, thus I will not be playing it. Yes. But one thing Guard 3 really does do well is it plays with motif for each of the five primary enemies, the intoners, you come across. And it actually works disturbingly well. Like, it is impressive how well the themes work. And in yeah. this case, we're going to be focusing on a singular theme. We're going to be facing... We're going to be talking about Thor... Uh, we're going to be talking about Thor's theme uh, called The Upcoming Battle. Uh, now, The Upcoming Battle has three variations. It has the Battlefield variation, which is a regular level theme. Now, that's, this plays wherever the heck it feels like. Um, that it way you're does not doing, like... Some in, it does have some inherent progression. Uh, 
like all of the main battle themes because of Intona mode. Right. Um so all of the all of the intoners, including Zero, basically use song magic. Um so when you go into internal mode, when you go into intoner mode, it engages a variable mix in the song as you play it, which adds a lot of vocals. Which is why we haven't talked about DMC5, which has a similar system tied to the style meter. Yes. Um, and we will absolutely be talking about that probably once I finally get around to playing Virgil mode. Yeah. Um, but in this case, um, it feels very intriguing to hear that. And in toner mode is actually fairly short. Like it only lasts for like 30 to 45 seconds at a time. If that, so you're not actually getting that much of the song as uh, vocalized for the most part. It's just exactly. purely instrumental. Whereas by comparison, you start getting your boss versions. The boss versions are a little different because it's the same melody, same themes. It's just straight up rock. and There's no alternate mode. You're just getting the good music. Yeah, basically the enemy is in is the internal mode of the boss you're facing. Correct. In a way, it's a bit like their character theme and you're the villain, which makes sense. Kind of until it doesn't anymore. I don't want to spoil Dragon Guard yeah. 3, but yes, that is how it's presented at first. Um, exactly. It's it's Tarioko's usual theme of like gray and gray and like the good guys and bad guys look like the uh, everyone looks like the bad guy to each other sort of thing. Yeah. Um although in this case there is actually unambiguously a good guy, which is deeply unusual for a Tarioko game. True. Um said good guy just acts like a raging jerk, which is why we love them. Exactly. Uh... Where was I? Mm, Bus theme that keeps the vocals. Right. So... We have our first uh, instance of Thor's boss, which is um, Armoros, which is this giant flying fortress, and it's one of the few bosses you actually fight on Dragonback. Um, unlike prior Dragon Guard games, this one's more of an on-rails type of shooter. And, and while uh, the previous Dragon Guard games had those segments, it also had free-flying segments that I don't recall were in Dragon Guard 3? They were. They were? You do... F- yeah, you do things like, uh, before the boss fight with Faye, for instance, you do take a bit of a free-flying section to burn some ground troops. They even justify that you on rails during the Armoros fight yeah. as one of Armoros' powers be in essentially locking you on rails. Yes. Um, which actually works shockingly well, because it will lead you into death traps you have to fight. Yeah. So. Like, essentially, the encounter is stained because at the end of the rail, you're being swallowed by the entire fortress. Yep. It, it, was, it was a very cool boss sequence. Again, Drakengard 3, super underrated game. Uh, and not yeah. just for uh, and not just for the for the soundtrack. Um, if you can get past the slowdown and the somewhat clunky combat, though not that clunky to be perfectly honest. Um, I don't know if you can get past the fact that the PS3 store has been taken down. That is also a 
problem, yeah. Hmm. I guess they haven't added it to... I guess they haven't added it to a prior shop, have they? I don't think so. Darn. You can still get hard copies, probably, but you won't get the DLCs. Oh, wow, yeah, huh. And the DLCs are actually, like, super important, huh? Yeah. Well, so I heard, haven't played them. And now I think I'll have to find other ways to play them. Or uh, maybe just watch someone play it. Yeah, I would, I would mail you my PS3 so you could try them out, but that's probably not going to work. Yeah. Um. So, Armoros. Yeah, Armoros. Well, I think we've said about all we can about Armoros. Uh, however, the second of her boss themes, which actually plays both for her boss theme and I think for for herself when you actually fight her, yeah. um, is for Zophiel? Do I have that one right? A lot of these names are kind of... Uh, and this one's a lot more frantic. And this one actually plays into the boss character for's now like continued insanity as she's being further infected by the problem yeah and the insanity shows up really well right at the start of the theme that just starts weird like you still recognize the main theme but everything around it is distorted in a way yeah it's a lot crunchier, it's a lot less put together. Arboros was a really put together song, just a really slick exactly. rock song. Zophiel is not. Through. This is the same song, but put through a meat grinder, which makes sense, because yeah. that was for sanity. Yeah, it got this really shadowed feel that makes perfect sense it does. in context. And like usual, this is Monaka doing what Monaka does, which is taking really cool music and making it work for the games. God, I, I, In a way, I, it's almost like they take the music, scrumble it like it's a jigsaw puzzle, and then instead of reassembling the puzzle, they just use glue and make a new puzzle with the pieces. They do, and they're very good at that. And I'm, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here, because I kind of want to talk about Monaka as a whole. I've heard Monaka in other... Means. Like, in other games that aren't Square and aren't Taro Yoko. Um, well, in one case, it is Square. They did a version of... They did a, they and Keichi Okabe in particular did a version of Battle on the Big Bridge uh, for Final Fantasy XV, which was good in oh, theory, I guess. Them. I think it... The problem with this version is that it makes sense because of the depiction of Gilgamesh they show, but the depiction of Gilgamesh that's seen in FF15 is boring compared to Gilgamesh in other games. I, I won't deny that, but um, I guess my point has less to do with the... has less to do with the characterization and more to do with, well, this is what Monaka is capable of when their hands are tied. And Fate Extella Link had the same problem. I didn't even recognize it was Keichi Okabe and Monaka until like, the end credits, where I saw their names and my jaw dropped, and I'm like, they did music for this game? What? <laughs> um, and then listening back to it, I gotta hear some of their kind of melody tropes, but Monaka is at their best when they are let just go completely wild with their composition. And yes. as soon as their hands are tied, they put in good, but not really memorable music. Um... 
In Guard 3's case, I feel like that's a little downplayed, because this soundtrack is definitely a lot more normal than the 2 year soundtracks are. But there's still a lot going on under the hood, and clearly they were allowed quite a bit of creative freedom, which is when they're at their best. Yeah. Um, and this, this comparison between the put-together Arboros, where Force still looks like a good guy, and the much less put-together Zophiel, where you realize, no, Four is absolutely not a good guy, is just really impressive. But also very subtle, because if you just listen to the song, it just sounds like a good kind of alt-crunchy rock song that just works. So yeah. I think seeing this progression and following following uh, the character is actually really solid. Especially since, given that there's hashtag timeline stuff, yeah, well, it's a lot of different interpretations of the character. Yes. And so different interpretation of the character theme. Correct. And I think that just all in all works very well. Um, works perfectly. Yeah. Once again, when they are allowed creative freedom, Keiji Okabe and company do incredible work. And that's about all I got to say on that. Honestly, uh, so one of the things uh, that really brings it all together is that uh, each of these character themes, whether corrupted or more low-key or hardcore, um, I mean, besides fours, which stuck to me for non-game-related reasons, uh, they don't really get uh, that much of they don't they didn't really make that much of an impact as a character theme until the very end of the game where they are all brought together in one single song i'm not sure i agree with that i i feel like as individual themes the only one that kind of didn't work was fives but um i i got them as individual themes right away Maybe it's just that because I haven't listened to them recently, they uh, haven't made that much of an impression on me. But I think we need to at least mention indeed that the final song being uh, all of these themes are going uh, one after the other. Uh, yeah, final song is, is just... It's a thing. It's a thing. I'm going to just say it right now, it is literally my favorite final boss track of any video game of all time. Yeah, that checks out. Um, I, I'm, I'm not that certain uh, as you, but I know it's up there. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, for me, it's like not even a second place. I mean, I guess the second place would be like Dancing Mad or something, but that's like not even close for me. Um, yeah. And actually, both Dancing Mad and Final Song were songs that I was considering talking about at one point or another over the course of developing this episode. Dancing Mad, uh, when we first started talking about progression, and then before yeah, that... With the movements. Yep. And then before that, before it became progression, uh, we were going to do uh, rhythm games, and I'm like, I don't play that, so I'm just going to throw Final Song in there and be like, I'm just going to talk about this for a while, that's all you're going to get out of me, because I don't play this genre, I'm sorry. I would entirely count that as a rhythm game, but just dropped on you. I mean, 
I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. Uh, I literally played it as such. In order to beat that boss, I actually had to get a YouTube video where it gave me the lines like a rhythm game where I hit the button. Okay, I have a confession to make. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I cleared that on my own because I have some rhythm game experience. It took me like four hours, but I did it. Congratulations. Thank you. And then, uh, a few months later, I was invited to a few friends' uh, apartment. Remember when we could get invited into other people's homes? Soon, soon again. We're yes. almost there. Uh, anyway, uh, they were approaching the end and so went all the way to the end of Dragon Get Free and tried and failed again and again for like a couple hours at the final boss. So then, and of course, being me, I taunted them every step of the way because I'm a terrible friend. Yep. Checks out. They even tried with the video as a help and it didn't help that much. And then eventually I taunted them so much they went, well, try it if you're so good. Okay. So I cleared the entire song uh, on the first go, and then I put the pad down and let the final note fail them. Oh now no! Oh no! That was uh, my uh, the day I embraced my role as a villain. <laughs> oh no! Oh, that hurts me! Oh, oh that hurts no. them too. I don't think they they have forgiven me yet. I I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't oh have forgiven God. myself too. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Rana, I'm sorry. All of that staying in the episode. Yes. Okay. This is fine. The the world must know. Okay. I they will. I I was hoping yeah, no, I'm not saving that for the future. We are hearing this. Anyway, yes, all of these character themes come together in the final boss, which at some point in the future I will talk about at length because there is a lot to unpack. The short version is it's the it's the usual near dream team of Keiichi Okabe and Emmy Evans. So, like, yes, kind of all you need to know there. It's not the only song she did on the soundtrack. It's one of, like, three. She wasn't there for much of it, but... um. They definitely saved her for when they needed her, and boy, howdy, does this one pay off. They did. All the character themes that we were just talking about, including the upcoming battle, was covered in that song, and I do want to talk about the song at length in the future. Long story short, so much going we on. could make an entire episode on this song, or if we're a bit uh, short on words, this song, and the recent uh, FF14 mixes of uh, some of the Final Boss's song. I have so much to say. Yeah. I have so much to say. This is that, yeah. getting dangerously off topic or we're going to be here for a while. We've already spent a half an hour on this one game. Move on. Quick, level castle. Uh, so, not a final boss song, but a final level song. And I like this one a lot. Not going to lie. Great one, yeah. Like, it's really great. In uh, a soundtrack that's essentially just a giant remix of uh, Link to the Past, they managed to put a song to it. just as good in there. Yeah. That's really impressive. Yeah. Like, the Dark 
world is great, the mm -hmm. mountain uh, is amazing, and this one is way more of an original song, not completely, uh, but way more of an original song, and it just kills it. Oh, it absolutely does. I really enjoy this track. When, uh, okay, yeah. so hang on, this is actually something I'm not necessarily aware of. When you say not completely an original song, what's it based on? Because I don't remember that. It seemed original to me when I heard it. I'm happy you asked. It is. But, around one minute in, there's a part that, if you play it backwards, is the Hyrule Castle theme. No! Yes! Search for YouTube for Lowell Castle theme inverted, and around four minutes on this track, since it's inverted, you hear... I had no idea! That's amazing! It's the absolute best! Ryo Nagamatsu and... is super underrated. He also did the yes. Link's Awakening remake, and that was another just incredible soundtrack. He does a lot of excellent work for Nintendo. He does. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it says something when you have something that is absolutely unambiguous. It's clearly intended. Oh, yeah. And when it's played uh, backwards for this part, you don't spot it. Yeah, That's I had some... no idea. And I listened to this song a fair bit. Like, I go back to the soundtrack. This and Link's Awakening both quite a bit. Yeah, and that's some high-level slate of hand. That right is, there. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. It's great. And even beyond that, uh, the reason this song is in there is that there is uh, a lot of other songs we've talked about that are either several songs progressing through different instances, uh, or some more mechanically inspired elements, and this one is just a song that screams progression in itself, self-contained by yeah. how much it speaks of an ascension. You've had to finish the dungeon and get that boss done, and you are pushed forward by this song very much so. It's brings you up on multiple levels that are interlaced perfectly, uh, both in the way it goes ta -ta -ta -ta, ta -ta -ta -ta, going upwards and upwards in its basic structure, and uh, in the way the instruments ramp up at the end, you've got choirs and big drums and everything, and uh, it just that strong sense of moving forward and getting Closer and closer to the end. So that's it. It's just a really strong stance of, uh, yeah, of progression about to reach its climax. Yeah. Um, I like, like that was, that was a thing that you saw a couple of times in that, in that game, how, um, as you progressed in a dungeon or progressed in an area, uh, even the overworld would change as you completed yes. tasks. Uh, that was something yeah. that game did quite a bit of. Yeah, like the first time you get on uh, the other Hyrule theme, which starts with the fanfare, it's just mm, so good. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I like the Dark World theme myself, because yeah. in the pre-Clearing Dungeons version, it just starts with that really nice guitar and kind of goes in. But uh, in the like fancy version, it gets fully orchestrated and just feels like so much more is going on as you head towards the final battle. Like I, I, I like that. I think that I think that game kind of gets underrated on a lot of levels for exactly this reason. Exactly. I mean, if you need another proof somehow about how much they paid attention and tribute to the music, you don't have to look much further than the Milk Bar. Oh yeah. Which has pretty much the entire OST as alternate versions that are just sung and strummed on a single guitar and a flute. Yeah, I fun think. fact, my, yeah. Uh, my CD of this, which I had to get off of eBay because the soundtrack was only available on CD for European members of Club Nintendo only. <laughs> <laughs> and you also have to go to jump through free, free flaming hoop and answer my riddles free. Basically, uh, especially since the point of this was my version of the CD was actually corrupted as of the Milk Bar stuff. Oh no! Yep. Oh no! Yeah, so it wouldn't pay past a certain track. It just couldn't do it. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Uh, I was not thrilled with that because I'm like, this was still in its wrapping and everything. Like, this was a manufacturer yeah. defect and I can't exactly return it because I'm not supposed to even have it in the first place because I'm not in Europe or a member of Club Nintendo. <laughs> Oh, that. You have my deepest sympathies. You've been through a lot. Thank you. <laughs> uh, <sighs> speaking of people who've been through a lot. Yeah. That's the transition. Cool. To talk about Tales of Zestiria. I don't even know if that's right, but. It really isn't. Preface. Tales <laughs> of Zestiria is the bad prequel to Tales of Berseria. Well, bad Isn't it a bad sequel? Bad quill? Well, it's not the sequel because it came out first. Yes. Because it can't be. So. It, it can't be a prequel because. Tales of, Tales of Besseria is the good prequel to Tales of Zestiria, which is a bad game. Correct. We're going to go with that. Uh, sorry, I could not give a. I don't Oot. care about this guy. He is a terrible lead. The only thing Which he has going for him is they make it look a lot more like he's they make it look a lot more like he's gay than other ones. So he could actually be a queer lead. I don't know. But because it's yeah. Japan, they never actually hit the button on this. Of course. And it's so strange that you say that because uh, the fact that he's a bad protagonist in general, because uh, they've done in the past and future such a good job at making way more interesting JRPG protagonist than your average JRPG protagonist. Yeah, and other than the other than queer baiting, uh, Sori is very, 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 very average. Like, he doesn't yeah. have a single thing about him that makes me actually like this guy. Um, yeah, meanwhile, Jude was one of the most lovable protagonists I've oh, known in a JRPG. Great. He was yeah. great. I liked Luke Von Fabra a lot. Um... Yuri Lowell is obviously a classic for a reason, even if of course we can talk about how awful the the remake of the the definitive edition so so much of uh, they call it for that. Oh boy, I have comments. Oh, yeah. 
But none of those Don't are relevant here. Uh, yeah. So in terms of going through a lot, yes, I went through a lot having played this game. With one exception, <laughs> and that's the soundtrack, because the soundtrack is super good. Um, Motoi Sakuraba, we talk about him a lot. He's this incredibly prolific game, uh, game composer. He's done the Tales games. He's done the Vakaprofile games. He's done the Dark Souls games. He's done... Like, a Installation. lot. I think that a lot of it uh, can be traced back to Star Ocean. Probably, yes, and he does that game too. That series yep. as well. Um, regardless, he's kind of this mainstay for the Tales series. But once upon a time, there was a real weirdo in the Tales series called Tales of Legendia. What was weird about this is it was actually developed by the Soul Calibur team. Huh. Yeah. So when I heard they were developing that, I'm like, oh, so we're probably going to get some Soul Calibur inspired combat. No, they just did the 2D combat from Tales of uh, Tales of Destiny. They just went super old school. It was fun. It was a really good entry into the game with a couple of asterisks after it because the localization was bonkers. Yeah, but as an absolute fan of the Soul Calibur, which is my favorite fighting game series of all time. I am disappointed. Me too, a little that. bit, to be perfectly honest with you, because the battle system yes. was super traditional, except for the addition of throws, which thankfully has stayed in since. But the other trick it's with Tales of Legendia is it was not composed by uh, Motoi Sakuraba. It was composed by yeah. Goshina. So up until... Which is also a very good composer. Oh, he's, he's excellent. Uh, Tales of Legendia soundtrack was so good, it made me a fan of his for life. Yeah. So imagine my incredible shock and incredible, uh, incredible joy when I discovered that Tales of Zestiria, arguably the worst game in Tales, has the best soundtrack, which is also a collaboration between Motoi Sakuraba and Goshida. Yep. Oh boy, is this soundtrack something special. It's a shame well, it was not definitely... such a mediocre game, but... yeah. Well, you definitely hear, at least in the tracks uh, that uh, we are talking about, uh, more Sakuraba than China. Yes, in the tracks that I picked specifically for progression's sake, unfortunately that was more of a case of Sakuraba's primary composition tactics with uh, a little bit of Sheena's orchestration, but this was mostly Sakuraba. That yeah. said, there's nothing wrong with that. Sakuraba did a damn good job on these songs. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that otherwise. I wouldn't be showing them off if they didn't. Yeah. But during the final boss sequence, uh, you have the final dungeon, which has an overly long name, and then you have the two halves of the final boss, which also have overly long names. That's not even all, all, no, I can't even say two halves of it. The first two thirds of the final boss, but the third one, the third part is more of a dark play on Sori's theme than it is an actual, like, variation on these themes, so that's not really helpful here. Um. So. Overall, generally speaking, I I wanted to find when looking for this a um I wanted to find a final boss suite multi parts that wasn't a uh square game. Entirely because, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I default to square way too much. They put a lot of care into their music and it shows, but obviously this show is about exploring more than just, you know, what we're fanboys of, so yeah. In this and particular instance, I'm still... know Square Games. Yeah. Chaos uh, <laughs> Rings, but we'll come back to that later. Yeah, it's not like episode. there's any shortage of Square Games to talk about. 
in terms of good music, as I just said. But the big one uh, for this one that comes to mind is because of how good these two composers are, especially in this collaboration. God, I wish it was for a better game than the one they got to collaborate on. Yeah. Um, that musically, it creates a very different environment than, than previous or later games did. Um, in the case of the final boss suite, you have Inominat's Castle. I don't know if it's Inominat's Castle necessarily. It's, it's weirdly one of the same dungeons as in Berseria. Like, they're, they're kind of final dungeons to both, whether they go both to do different places to actually do the finale. Um, uh, there is this wonderful sense of foreboding. Yeah. Um, like, it's heavy. It is. Uh, which makes sense. It works. Truth. Yeah, I just realized I almost want to talk about something from Berseria, but it's kind of a humongous spoiler. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. That's why I had a pick from Danganronpa 2, but I didn't go with it because of a similar reason. Yeah. Alright, I'm just going to not I'm just going to say it gets called back to in Berseria and just leave yeah. it kind of open ended. Okay. Um What's interesting is that later on when we get to the prequel game Tales of Berseria, um the character that eventually gets corrupted into the final boss of in not the final boss, that gets corrupted into the reason why the Lord of Calamity is a thing in Tales of Zestiria. A lot of the same uh, notes and a lot of the same themes from this final dungeon track are actually used in this character's uh, music in Tales of Berseria back before everything went down. Yeah, which makes sense. It's a nice echo, even if yeah. uh, I believe the composers were different. No, it was still Sakuraba. No, okay, it's just Sheena isn't in there as well. Correct. Um... Berseri was Sakuraba solo, and I gotta be honest, I feel like he kind of phoned that one in. There's a couple of really great tracks in there, but for the most part, it's a very just generic Tales soundtrack. As you like to say, yeah, it didn't it's Tales soundtrack on MP3. Yeah. Which is honestly why I didn't play one of the specific and most well-regarded uh, Tales game. Tales of Symphonia has musical terms in its theme, in, in its name, but the soundtrack didn't immediately strike me as worthy of that importance, and so I just said, nope, don't like that. It was good for its day. Like, when I first played that on the GameCube, it was a breath of fresh air, but yeah, obviously, in hindsight, it's not nearly as special as it used to be, especially since even even more recent soundtracks by the same composer or the same generation are improved. Tales of the Abyss was also a Sakuraba solo, and it was, well, not entirely solo, but mostly... And it was still quite, yeah. quite, quite good. Like, Abyss is probably my favorite Sakuraba solo soundtrack for the Tales series. For specifically the Tales series, I like his other work yes, better. Yes, of course. In terms of Tales, I think, I think Abyss is my favorite of his work. Not that that's relevant. Um, anyway, going into it, so you have the... You have the Lord of Calamity who's fused with Mautelus, who has been corrupted by Miasma, blah, 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 blah. This story doesn't matter. We're not getting into it. 
something something evil god. Pretty much. Pretty much. Although, it's weird that the Lord of Calamity turned the god evil and not the other way around. Ooh. And your whole Twist. job is to cleanse the god. And having gotten to know the god over the course of Berseria, yeah, that's a good thing. We like him. See. Um. Anyway, the story really doesn't matter that much. It had a couple of interesting points, which were greatly expanded on later. But the music actually makes it worse by uh, actually no, actually makes it work by combining um a lot of the themes: the theme for the final dungeon, Sori's theme. Um, and then the Lord of Calamity's theme, such as it is, that was one of the more boring tracks, which is why I didn't include it in the playlist. Doesn't matter. But I like how it comes together for the first half of the final boss theme, and then as things happen, it actually ramps up into the second half, which actually takes that and makes it sound even more chaotic and dire, which is, which is good. It, at the very least, it was a very challenging final boss from a gameplay standpoint. Yeah, and um, one thing that, uh, Clearly, uh, uh, that I clearly noticed uh, hearing quickly uh, the tracks mm -hmm. is that, uh, and that's not always a given, but uh, the dungeon track and the boss track really belong to the same whole. They do, which I always approve of. Um, it's one of. It's one of uh, the things that I really like about the soundtrack is its use of theme and its use of... There's this connective tissue in it that, that isn't really present in a lot of Sakuraba solo works, even Dark Souls, really. Which yeah. is probably his best modern work, Dark Souls 1. Definitely. It's not even that modern. Dark Souls has been around forever now. Um, but it's still good. Still very good, um, yes. Um, and its influence still reverberates to this day. It does. Uh, Even though we both want from software to do an armored call game, I believe. I'm sorry, say that again. Even if we both want from software to do an armored core game, I've never played an armored core game, so sure. No. Oh. So I like the fact that they connect that well. Uh, it's one of the things about these a serious soundtrack that really appeals to me, and I feel like this is Sheen as influence here, because Sakuraba doesn't usually do that. He just throws songs at things that they usually sound good. Um, unless it's specific yeah, cases yeah, like Docker Profile 2's final boss theme being a remix of Lazard's theme, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it really does feel more like that, and there's a lot more examples of that throughout the game, and I'll, we'll be talking about this game again, because the soundtrack really is special. Um... In part because it combines two incredible, wonderful forces of uh, of uh, the game composition world, and in part because, yeah, it's such a great soundtrack for such a mediocre game. Um, I don't know. I I I don't know where to go. I I don't know what else to say on the matter without getting into some really deep technicals that I don't think work. Um, let's go ahead and pass it off to other special soundtracks since we're talking special stuff. Alright, well, let's talk about a small indie JRPG named Final Fantasy VII. Yep, small, tiny, indie, yep. 
Yeah, no, I really went with the things you might not know of and that we want to make our listeners discover some uh, soundtracks they might not be aware of. Yep, you had to dig real deep on this one. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) But no, I think that's mostly... I I picked that because I have things to say about how uh, FF7 really... uh, used extremely well these two tracks, which are the two main map themes. And uh, so, first thing of note, uh, the original map theme is the game's main theme. Immediately that shows you that uh, the theme of uh, the the planet as one of the recurring motifs is why going and strolling around off of the, this world is uh, the game's main theme. Like, the world is important in itself, and that's why it's so interesting that when a certain event happen, happens. Um, what's your stance on spoiling 23 uh, years old games? As long as you're not spoiling the new one, I think we're okay. And I don't think I will be able to spoil the new one because uh, I haven't played it. Uh, that would definitely solve that problem, yeah. So, Mitchell, it happens. And then the main map theme changes. And it goes much heavier with uh, the first note just being this boom. Yep. And right there, that brings this heavy presence, this ominous air to it. And I think that's very important because if you compare it to the previous game, FF6, there, uh, the world also undergoes a drastic changes, uh, uh, a, a drastic change. And that is reflected in the tidy set. You, you can't miss it. Everywhere you look is different people. Yep. There, the map is still the same. The, the only difference is uh, you see the meteor in the sky and the music change. And these two notes are enough to make you feel like the situation has changed completely. Yeah. And I think that's a nice way to conclude this episode with underlining how much good use of music changes can underline uh, progression in a game. So a situation change, the music must change to reflect that, I feel. Yeah, um, I've played more than enough games where there's these giant changes in circumstance and the music just refuses to go with it and it's just the same stuff you've been hearing before and I'm just like... Yeah, and then it loses weight. Yeah, it creates this disconnect that just doesn't click. Exactly. Um, Though within a single track, I'm more willing to excuse that because uh, it's so complicated to reflect more individual elements of progression. Like Say, you couldn't have a game uh, reason of any reasonable scale that reflects your progression when you're doing things, your character progression when you're doing things like 
making choices, gaining levels, gaining power in other ways, even though they are all elements of progress. So you have to pick your battles right. uh, for things that impact the whole world and things that you that the game creator can expect and control. Because a lot of the reasons why we haven't found a lot of individual single track that reflects this idea of progression is because a lot of the progress in a video game is in the hand of the players and the composers, the developers and the likes can't know at what pace we're going to progress. So a lot of it is finding the landmarks, finding where you have to essentially say there's a before and there's an after. Right. And obviously that's important and that is the very nature, I mean that is the definition of progress, a before and an after. Exactly. Um, by actually going along with the changes in the gameplay narrative, a soundtrack can really enhance it or by ignoring it dismiss those changes and make them less worthwhile. Yeah. Um, actually, in one case, something just came to mind when you were talking about this. Go on. So I'm actually going to add a topic here, unfortunately. Breath of Fire on. 1 did this in a really intriguing way. Oh, they did not. Because it started with your main theme, which was kind of big and heroic. Yeah. And then it goes... Later on, it goes to a second uh, overworld theme, which is a little more dire as things get scarier than a third as things get even mm -hmm. scarier than that. But then you, like, start getting the fancy magic anime power. It goes back to the first overworld theme and things are heroic again. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And it occurs to yeah. me that would have been... So I mean, it's a Square game. Well, Square and yeah. Capcom. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's the same thing with even more steps and the return back as the FF7 thing. Yeah. I think the return back tied to the main character acquiring powers and progressing in this way shows the importance your character has. Yeah. Um, so I think Breath of Fire 1 handled that very elegantly. Nice. Um, I want to play through that game again. I need I need to get like a something of that together and make that happen. Anyway, I never could stick to it. Yeah, yeah, it's not for everybody. It's a really simplistic game gameplay wise, but yeah. I mean musically, it was a collaboration between Hitoshi Sakimoto and Yoko Shimomura. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just those two. Yeah, just those two back in the Super Nintendo era. Yep. Back before tactics happened and Sakimoto became kind of a household name, and back uh, when Yoko Shimomura was a still largely unnamed random employee of Capcom. Yeah. And still putting out good work after good work. God, she's a genius. You want to talk about someone we need she to talk is. about way too much. Yoko Shimomura. Yeah. Only Brother Fire I finished was 4, which was excellent. Yeah, four was a good one. Um, I yeah. finished all of them now. No, 
and well, all of them except the weird mobile well, game that never came west yes. anyway. Yeah. Um. Hot take three was probably my least favorite. People love that game, and I'm just like, I don't get it. This doesn't click with me at all. I can see that. I should look closer into it and see if uh, that's the same. I think a lot of people seems to have a bit of a war between three and four. Uh, which is weird because most of the people I've talked to seem to like two the best, and I can, I can see that. You you yeah, probably want to translation I mean that... patch though. The the Super Nintendo translation for Breath of Fire Two was notoriously god awful. Yeah, I can see that. There's a lot of that. At the time. Well, I mean typos too. Like yes, lowercase d <laughs> refresh was a thing that happened. <coughs> I'm so glad translation progressed a lot in the years. Yeah, as, as the years have come back. <laughs> On the subject of progress, yes. I, exactly. I don't think we ever could have gotten some of the modern scripts we get now at all back in those days. And it's kind of a miracle some of the early games had translations as good as they were. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess that's the nature of progress for you. Things... And on that bombshell... Yeah. I think that's a good wrapping up point for the episode. I think so, too. Short outro today, but that's fine. It's sometimes difficult to see the difference even just a few notes makes, and sometimes you get these big, monumentous changes which change the way we look at things. It's always good to take a moment and pay attention to just how far we've come. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll be back next time for more Music Arcade. See ya.